Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. Um, I guess today is Hassan or Hassan Salaker, the founder and chief executive officer of Xeno Biosciences. So, Hassan, how are you doing? Good, Richard. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah. So Xeno uh, Biosciences sounds like Xeno uh, sounds like foreign or alien. What's what's the premise of the yeah. company? Yeah. So it's you know it's related to the microbiome. Uh, so and the, the idea of the name is that you know, Xeno means uh, guest or, or foreign. And that you know that's related to the guests that we have in our guts, and also kind of related to the, our uh, product, the drug that we're producing, because it's it's oxygen, and you know Zeno contains uh, letters that are in oxygen, essentially. So that was the that was the premise of the name. Um, but yeah, so I can tell you a little bit about what we're trying to do. Uh, you know. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. So, sure. So we, what we're trying to do is we, you know, we're developing an oral pill to treat obesity, um, and it mimics uh, the changes in the gut, you know, gut microbiota that occur after gastric bypass surgery, um, and and we believe that's that's the main reason why the surgery causes weight loss. There's this substantial shift uh, in the in the structure of the uh, microbes that in it, that live in your gut, and there's this, you know, it, just to give you a bit of a background on the surgery. So this is. Uh, gastric bypass surgery. It's a, it's a weight loss surgery. It's, uh, it's, it's a profoundly effective intervention and it's actually the most effective treatment that we have, uh, for morbid obesity currently. And, um, and it, it, you know, it causes profound weight loss, 30% on average and sustained over many decades. And, uh, it has all these, uh, huge effects on, uh, other comorbidities of obesity, like diabetes, uh, fatty liver disease and so forth. And uh, for a long time, people have thought that the surgery worked because it made your stomach smaller, and may and maybe there's you know it caused some malabsorption because there's a bypass of the small bowel. And uh, but we now know that those are not the reasons why the surgery works at all. And just to just to clarify, the surgery essentially involves um, bypassing the stomach and connecting. Uh, the esophagus the, the, uh, to the directly to the small intestine, and then bypassing the stomach and a portion of the uh, small bowel, um, and then you know it has all these effects. Um, and as I as I mentioned, uh, we, you know there there was this uh, idea in the past that you know you, you can't fit in as much food into the stomach because now it's smaller, or there is malabsorption because of the bypass of the small bowel. Well, we now know that you know those are not the reasons uh, why the surgery works, and we are working on uh, what we believe is the main reason why the surgery causes weight loss, which is this uh, shift in the microbiome. Well, how could you digest with no stomach? I thought that you know the the stomach acids are necessary to uh, you know start to break down food so it's ready to go into the uh, the small intestine and be digested right, further. Right. Yeah. So. So actually, after the surgery, this has been me- measured in animals and humans. You know, the digestion happens normally uh, in the sense that there is uh, there is no significant 
significant caloric malabsorption um, after the surgery. You know, you would think that there would be because you're bypassing the stomach, but actually most of the digestion in our guts happens in the small intestine. You know, the stomach holds the food, it has acid in it, uh, and then it, you know, it, it initiates, you know, the breakdown a little bit in, uh, at the beginning, but it's not the main, that's not where the main digestion happens. It's in, it's in the small intestine. So what, um, what happens to the microbiome? How does it change? Is there like right. a big die off, um, you know, or a complete yeah. replacement of the species that are there with new ones? So what happens is, you know, this, this happens in humans and animals. So you can do the surgery on animals and they do lose weight and have the same shift in the microbiome. But overall, what happens is uh, there's this shift towards uh, more aerobic bacteria in the gut. So normally uh, in our guts, the bacteria that live in there that are anaerobic, meaning that they don't, they don't use oxygen to, to generate energy. So they don't respire and they don't grow in the presence of oxygen. Um, but after the surgery, there's this, you know, very large shift, substantial shift towards um, more of these aerobic bacteria, or what are called facultative anaerobes, in the gut that are usually less than one percent of the total population. And now after the surgery, they reach up to ten, twenty percent. Um, and uh, you know, that's that's the main, that's the shift that happens that we can observe with sequencing. Uh, there could be other things going on, you know, but the manifestation of the shift is uh, the change in the microbiome is that there's this, uh, the bacterial, in the bacterial populations, you can see this um, aerobic bloom of bacteria. Um, and yeah, so, so, I, I so guess, how do, you know, um, one thing I've noticed is, you know, the people that get gastric bypass surgery, they literally can't eat the same bolus of food that they were. They're eating a lot less. Um Right. Um, How do the new bacteria metabolize the food versus the old bacteria? What's the difference there? Right. So I I should also, you know, before getting to that, um, I should also mention, you know, tying it back to the surgery. Why why does the why does the aerobic bacteria increase? And we believe that's because of the because of the because the surgery disrupts the gas homeostasis in the GI tract, meaning that uh, you know we normally swallow a lot of air. Uh, per day into our stomachs just by during drinking or eating that's like liters of air per day and then that air you know obviously contains enormous amounts of oxygen in it and the, normally the stomach prevents any of that air from going into the small intestine because it's like a large bag it has a valve at the end pylorus and we have all these mechanisms like uh, belching reflex or regurgitation passive reflux by which the the gas the air that that gets into the stomach is eradicated, and but after the surgery, now you have uh, connected you connect the small uh, small intestine directly to the esophagus. There's no stomach, and that air gets infused into the small intestine directly, and then uh, transits very rapidly actually to the to the colon. And since that air contains a lot of oxygen in it, um, enormous amounts, and the oxygen is poorly soluble. Uh, it's like it, you know, it transits to the colon, and then we believe that that's what drives the shift in the microbiome. Uh, and and going back to the idea of you know eating small amounts, yes. So after the surgery, uh, patients have to eat smaller amounts, but they eat more frequently. So so their meal size is smaller, uh, but they increase their so they they eat more frequently throughout the day. And after the surgery, you know. 
postoperatively, very acutely, you know, they, their eating food intake goes down a lot, but then it actually goes back up to, you know, after six or 12 months or so to a BMI matched control in the sense that they eat the same amount of food that, uh, you know, a, a person with their BMI would be eating. It's just that there's this nuisance of the surgery that where they have to they have to eat smaller amounts um, and uh, but more frequently. Well, that'll be a million times better if you didn't have to have this surgery and you could just change over the microbiome profile. So I mean, what you're doing yeah, makes a lot of sense. So um, why do I, I guess there's a different environment? So that's why there's different microbes that uh, flourish and the old ones are uh, you know are I guess unnaturally yeah. selected out is what happens, right? Yeah, so we believe it's, it's, it's essentially a selected force that the oxygen in there is, uh, you know, uh, enriching the bacteria that are the arid bacteria, and um, and you have to have that uh, selective force to maintain that uh, in the gut. So if you, for instance, you can actually um, take the microbiota. Uh, from animals who have had the surgery or humans, right? So they, you can take stool samples uh, from these people and then transplant that uh, those microbes into animals that did not have the surgery. And then you can transfer the weight loss phenotype uh, by just doing that. But the thing is, you can measure what happens to the microbiome after one transplant, for instance, right? So you, you transplant it. Uh, transplant the gastric bypass microbiome into an animal, and then look at look what happens over time. You can see that it reverts back to a, like a normal state, anaerobic state, because there is no uh, selective force that's maintaining it. Um, you know, just just after after the transplant. Um, so so yeah, going back to the point that you know you have to have that selective force, that different environment um, to have this change. Well, I don't know, maybe it's silly, but what if the person had air pills, like time-release pills that just contain a little bit of air in them or oxygen in them? You know, they right. got through the stomach and then they, they released their, you know, their oxygen into the small intestine part. Would that work or is that ridiculous? Yeah, but, you know, that's that's you know, that's the thing that we told about. Uh, but uh, the thing is, we're releasing uh, a, you know, a big amount of air, uh, oxygen in there, so it's like, you know, we're planning to release about 30 to 40 mils of air with our with our pill, uh, but it's not air. It's it's you know it's a solid API that with just one pill you can have that. But you know you wouldn't be able to do that with you know air air pills. The other thing is that so that would require hundreds of pills essentially for you to take. The other problem is that the the, the pills if if they're just, they just have air in them they float in the stomach and don't go into the small intestine. Um, you know, it, it's it's because of the same idea that the air stays in the stomach, right? Uh, and uh, you know, they wouldn't be able to uh, reliably go into the small intestine. Uh, you know, if you just had empty pills, um, essentially. So okay, so how do you describe your solution? Like, how does it work? You know, without giving away proprietary info, but you know, how does your solution work? Right. So so our solution is that we have an um, you know it's um, a material that when you put it in water, it releases oxygen gas. It's a solid, um, you know, a, a material API, uh, active pharmaceutical ingredient. And we, we code it with functional coatings so that um, when you take it, it bypasses the stomach and it doesn't release in the stomach. 
and it goes into your small intestine and uh, in the distal small intestine, you know, last part of the small intestine, it releases uh, oxygen gas uh, because the, the functional coatings uh, dissolve and let the, let the uh, API, the active ingredient to uh, react with water and release oxygen. And, 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 and then uh, have this change in the microbiome after that because there's more oxygen in there now in the in the proximal oh, colon where interesting so what what have you observed are you testing this animal models do you see a a slow changeover over time to a new bacterial profile or like what, what have you observed right so we've actually when we have started out this project we were thinking that this could be a supplement um just because the ingredients we use are safe um that uh, then we decided to do uh, go go the drug route but in any case at that time we have act you know, some people have tried this. Actually, the the, the pills. That, um, you know, including me, I was the first one uh, trying these. And you know, we've you know, and while we were while the subjects were trying them, you know, we measured weight, we measured you know all sorts of different things, and also the microbiota, uh, so before and after, or or before and during dosing, I should say. And and we did indeed see. Uh, changes in the microbiota uh, similar to what happens after gastric bypass with these pills and also a lot of weight loss uh, in these people who have taken it especially if they were obese to begin with and the, the other thing that we observed is that um, they had this metallic taste in their mouth uh, which prompted us to look into whether they you know they, they're in ketosis essentially because apparently this is a thing that happens after the surgery as well uh, and then we measured whether they were in ketosis during dosing, and indeed they were, even though their uh, food intake was not really significantly changed, uh, as self-reported by them. So, so overall, that's interesting. Why would they? Uh, why would they uh, be? In, why would they use? Why would they be in ketosis? What changed metabolically? So we we don't know, but the the thing is, we what what we do know is that for the surgery is that it, it induces induces a change in uh, metabolism, like drastic change physiologically, uh, because it is it, what what the surgery does is actually changes how the brain dictates uh, the body weight is maintained. So the brain is actually controlling how much you weigh. Uh, and, um, and, and that's one of the reasons why it's so hard to lose weight, because if you try to voluntarily restrict your calories, what happens is that the brain senses this and then induces hunger, decreases metabolic rate. So it it it's you know it becomes very hard to lose that weight because the brain wants to be at a certain weight. And what happens after the surgery is, you know, even though these patients are not eating that much and they're losing enormous amounts of weight, they don't feel hungry, right? Uh, and that's you know that's one of the indications uh, suggesting that. You know, there's something very physiological going on, and the brain is now actually actively trying to lose weight. You know, actively telling the fat mass to go into lipolysis and and you know shed shed essentially the fat mass. Um, and and that that induces ketosis if you if you have a lot of fat that's being dumped. And uh, again, as I mentioned in our uh, experience uh, with the subjects, you know, uh, they were they were losing they were losing weight. And um, and you know it's it's reasonable then that you have this uh, ketosis effect as well. 
but again, we don't so know you exactly think that how, uh, by changing the microbiome, you change the set, the, the weight set point of the brain? Exactly. So what, you know, again, we, we don't know exactly what's going on, but our working theory is that, you know, the, you, you shift the microbiome, right, and uh, towards aerobic bacteria. And what happens is the, the, you know, there's the immune system and the nervous system uh, lining the colon. There's a lot of nerves, there are a lot of immune cells along the colon. They communicate with each other. There's uh, nerves going from the mucosa of the colon to the spinal cord and then to the brain directly. So there is, there's a direct highway of communication between the colon and the brain. So what, ha- what we believe is happening is when you shift the microbiome like this, uh, you know, this is being sensed uh, by the immune system and the nervous system. And, and it goes to the brain and it may be functioning like a, um, kind of like a vaccine, we think, uh, and, you know, putting the immune system on alert, maybe. And then, you know, it, the signal goes to the brain and the brain initiates all these, uh, programs as to, you know, dump the fat mass, you know, and do all sorts of things. Um, so that's, that's our working hypothesis. It is ultimately the brain. Uh, that's that you know that's dictating all of this and is uh, is the driver of the weight loss after the surgery as well. Well, it sounds like it's the brain's interaction with the species of microbes that are in the gut. Yes, yeah, so, like there's a so, communication back and forth between the two. Because otherwise, why would the brain just change its set point? It's they must be. Uh, I mean, they must yeah. be influencing our regular brain, mammalian brain, somehow. The signals. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So what we think is might be happening is that you know these types of bacteria that increase after the surgery, um, you know the aerobic bacteria, they you know they look very similar to the bacteria that usually cause uh, uh, enteric infections. Okay. So, but they are commensals, you know, the the ones that increase after the surgery that in your gut, like these are these are bacteria like E. coli and that sort of thing. Um, so. But they look very similar in terms of their, you know, antigen profile. You know, if you if your immune system, if you look at this, you may think that you know this looks very much like an infection, right? But it is not. But nevertheless, uh, you know, once once you see that sort of a profile, sort of a sensory profile, it may signal to the brain and you know initiate uh, a reaction. Again, as I said, kind of like a vaccine. Vaccine would. So this is. You know, not a real infection, uh, but uh, might mimic one. And the other point on that is actually, if you look at if you look at the gut microbiota of um, hunter gatherers, you know, traditional in traditional societies uh, or or mice that live in the wild, um, as opposed to the lab mice or as opposed to you know humans in our modern environment, right? Uh, you see the enrichment of same type of bacteria that happens after gastric bypass. So these aerobic bacteria are are more abundant in, in hunter-gatherers or wild mice, uh, which might, you know, again, this is a hypothesis, but which might be related to what's happening uh, in gastric bypass in the sense that for, for millions of years throughout, throughout evolution, uh, we may have had this pressure in our guts that, you know, sort of like a chronic um uh, subclinical infection type of a thing it's it's tolerated by the body but 
it, it has been always there, but now in our modern environment or in a, in a sterile lab facility, like in the, the mice are in, you lose that. Uh, and then, and then, um, and then that might be actually underlying some of the diseases that we see in our modern environment, uh, because you know, you know, we, we live in much more sterile environments with, with sanitation. So have you, have you profiled, um, any patients over time, you know, looked at their gut bacteria, let's say every day for a month or three months. And, you know, have you observed the changeover of their, their gut bacteria? And if so, what have you seen? Right. So, so we've on, you know, people have only taken this at most for, uh, five to six weeks. Um, but we have looked at, uh, you know, during that time at baseline and, uh, during early, you know, during the first week of dosing, we have, as I mentioned, um, sequenced the microbiota, uh, from these subjects. Um, and, and indeed we saw, uh, increase in these types of aerobic bacteria. Uh, that that you would see in, in a gastric bypass. So uh, right, we have, have you we seen a have... decrease in in other species that are normally there, or you know, a change in the mixture, or like a drastic makeover so, of, the, of the gut? Like, you know, what can you say about it? So we, you know, we measured relative abundance, so the fractions of the species, and what we saw was, you know, starting from, uh, you know, about a one percent abundance of these types of bacteria, they go up to like 10%, uh, and, and not, not much significant. Again, we don't have a lot of data to, to statistically, um, look at, you know, um, statistically say something about the other types of species, but there wasn't any, you know, trend or anything. It's just like the, these bacteria just increased and then all the other ones, uh, were less. Uh, but again, it's, it's a small, uh, change if you if you think about it because it's like going from you know in terms of the other types of bacteria because it's they they go from you know about 100 percent to 90 percent. Well, yeah, you, I guess you'll have to study the longer term effects because uh, you know someone doing this for five or six weeks is different from someone doing this for a year or for many years. You know, so how yeah, are you gonna exactly. Get yeah. to the so, next but, step where you can determine that what's going to happen long term. Yeah, that's gonna that's gonna happen through a formal clinical trials with uh, you know going to regulatory approval for for a drug application uh, through the FDA. Um, but one thing that we have uh, that's nice is that we know that you know gastric bypass patients have this microbiome and they live with it lifelong. There's decades of follow up showing that gastric bypass is actually very safe. Uh, they the patients live healthier, they live longer. Um, and there's all sorts of improvements in their, uh, you know, uh, comorbidities, as I mentioned, like diabetes, and they, their cancer rates drop significantly, like 40% decrease in overall cancer rate, mortality, all-cause mortality drops by a lot, uh, you know, by 50% uh, over time. Uh, so so the, the surgery is actually saving saving lives. And, uh, and they live with this microbiota in their guts. Uh, all their lives after that. So that's a good indication that this is this has very good long-term safety. Uh, you know, just just by if you're if you're talking about the microbiome. So that's you know that's giving us confidence that um, this is something important that we should pursue. So prebiotics, from my understanding, oh, that's essentially you, food you, for the bacteria you want to be there. So is there anything you've identified that these new oxygen-loving uh, bacteria would would thrive on? Um, not not 
not something specific, I, I should say. It's, um, you know, the, having oxygen is actually is a big deal and, uh, you know, more than any other, you know, food substance because, you know, you can convert one molecule of, uh, you know, sugar uh, into, uh, you know, many, many uh, molecules of energy if you have oxygen as opposed to just a few uh, with, the, with the anaerobic respiration that the microbes in there usually do. So it's a, it's a you know, enormous uh, competitive advantage uh, having, having oxygen in there just by, just by you know, if you're growing on the, on the oxygen. The other thing is that the oxygen does is uh, it, it creates a niche for these bacteria because, uh, you know, most of these anaerobic bacteria don't grow very well in oxygen. So they have to wait until the oxygen is consumed uh, locally by these aerobic bacteria where they are present. Um, so it's, um, yeah. So, so what happened with yourself? Did you take this for a while and then stop? Or are you continuing to take it? And what kind of effect yeah, has it had yeah. on you? Or do you have, you know, again, what kind of other data do you have? What does it show over time? How fast does it act? Yeah, so it acts pretty rapidly that we've seen um, so far. Um, you know, we, some, there, there's some, you know, I don't have that much of weight to lose. Uh, I'm, I'm quite skinny actually. So, so if you do the surgery on lean people, they don't lose much weight as well because you, you have to have a certain amount of fat mass to be able to lose anything. But in any case, I lost uh, a few kilograms over a week. Uh, but then that's the, that's the most, uh, uh, you know, the time period that I've taken it. But as I said, other subjects have taken it five to six weeks. Uh, they've seen uh, ranging from five to you know eleven point five percent weight loss, uh, you know over that period, which is which is quite substantial, and um, and it, yeah. So the, the in terms of other effects, um, what we've seen is as I mentioned, there's this metallic taste uh, which prompted us to look into ketosis, and uh, there is a mild constipation as the as one of the side effects, which which actually happens after the surgery a lot. So these, uh, you know, these patients go into uh, have a lot of constipation. So that, you know, that goes against the idea of malabsorption as well, right? So if you had malabsorption, you would have a lot of diarrhea. Uh, but these patients generally suffer from constipation. And uh, some some questions that we get: do, you know, do, do, do we get flatulence or not? But you know, again, this is a small amount of. Uh, you know, gas that we're putting in there is 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 not very significant uh, compared to the amount of gas that's already in there. Although the patients, uh, gastric bypass patients, have a lot of flatulence um, and 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 uh, gurgling sounds, you know, in in their bellies all the time because because that's that's air we believe that's moving through their guts all the time, um, which which makes sense. Yeah. So that's yeah. Have you um, thought about, you know, since, since you're, you've created essentially a pill that releases oxygen into the intestines, uh, what about ones that would release nitrogen, I don't know, to help with surgeries, or is there any other pathways you can use? Um, so, I, I, I'm sh- I don't think you mean nitrogen gas, right? You mean, like, nitrogen Well, I want, you know, like, I, I've heard with some surgeries, they'll, they'll, like, fill your stomach with nitrogen gas, you know, just to move things out of the way so you can see. I just, I just, yeah, just came to yeah. mind. I just wonder if would it be helpful to have a pill that releases nitrogen gas into your intestine or, you know, anything else to, uh, to affect it in yeah, some way? Yeah. Or is it just, yeah. So we, we think it's, it's just the oxygen, um, that's, that's, that's important. 
um, you know, nitrogen gas is inert. Uh, and usually when people do surgeries, they usually put in uh, uh, carbon dioxide into the body cavities. Like, you know, when you do gastric bypass, they, they put in carbon dioxide. Because that's because it, it, it can be absorbed uh, relatively fast as opposed to nitrogen or oxygen because it, it dissolves a lot more in water. Um, so, so that's why people use carbon dioxide. But again, it's, you know, it's, it's just oxygen that, that, uh, that's relevant in our case. Okay. It just, it just brought it to mind. That's what I was asking. So yeah, no problem. Do you, do you see any, uh, pushback? I mean, because I would think, uh, unfortunately gastric bypass surgery probably earns quite a bit of money for, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. for the people that do uh, it. This would be a great way to, uh, to bypass the bypass, which is funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Yes. What's your path forward? What do you see as happening over the next few years? Yeah. So, so you're right in the sense that, like, if you if you go to a surgeon right now, um, uh, or you know, someone related to that field, uh, bariatric surgeon. I mean, um, they would tell you even the patients that the surgery works because you can't eat as much, right? And uh, but you know, that's as I mentioned, that's not correct scientifically, but you know that's the mainstream uh, uh, you know idea that people have why the surgery works. So that's one type of a barrier that um, you know that we need to you know I guess go through. Um, but uh, in terms of moving forward, we're just gonna be you know collecting data, uh, testing this hypothesis to, to as, as much as we can, and you know. Uh, Hopefully, we're planning on being on in clinic uh, later uh, next year. So, um, which will which will be which will be the ultimate um, test because we we believe in, in just in a phase one trial we may be able to have proof of concept uh, efficacy data um, uh, to to be able to um, you know show that you know this this is working. So that's 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 our plan. So just just data. Okay. Well, very good. So w- what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch? Um, well, they can uh, they can go on our website and uh, I think there's a contact form there. And, uh, you know, there's all sorts of other information if you just Google my name uh, in terms of if they want to get in touch with me directly. Uh, but other than that, you know, um, we are open to inquiries of, of any sort. Very good. Well, Hassan, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.